Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us another day to gather together to have the Holy Spirit guide and direct us, continuing to study your word, continuing to have fellowship with one another, continuing to sing your praises and the praises of your Son. Father, this morning we do ask that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct everything that we will be doing here together. We pray also, Father, for the needs of every one of the members of our congregation, as well as the saints generally in this country and around the world. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All righty, if you could stand now, we will have a congregation song. All right, as we get started today, just a few announcements. First one, it's very exciting, by the way, is that the Healing Hands of Christ's home in India, Pastor Adams, is now open in their new building. Yeah, so it's been a while coming, but they, they managed, and here's, they sent several pictures. This is my favorite right here. Pastor Adams is right in the middle, everyone rejoicing. It's a beautiful moment, so please continue to keep them in prayer. There's a lot of sick people there. A big commitment on the part of Pastor Adams and his wife, who's standing right next to him, and all the members of that congregation that are helping. So please keep that in prayer on a constant basis. Yeah, that right. He's right in the middle, right? Yep, and the and to his left is his wife. Yeah. Also, Pastor Kingsley, remember his missionary trip is right around the corner. He's going to South Africa from September 9th to September 29th. So please keep him in prayer as well. Um, this morning, I'd also like to note that um, we have a teaching, talking about now, a Thursday evening Bible study, which I know is difficult for a lot of you to, to make. But we have study guides. We actually call them teaching summaries now. And that's kind of the heart of how, what we use on Thursdays. Well, we also post them after the fact. So you can, you can at least see what it is that we're talking about covering. Um, obviously, it's better to be here with us if you can, because there is that opportunity for questions and so forth on Thursdays that we don't really have on Sundays. And, and we do pray. Our time to pray as a congregation is Thursday. Okay, so that's, that's kind of important whenever you can possibly make it to be with us when we're praying as a congregation. Of course, prayer is an ongoing thing. We ought to pray always. And so, but again, there is, um, there is an importance of gathering together as members of the body of Christ to pray together. So in any event, the teaching summaries are available on our website. Um, you can see the right arrow, red arrow pointing to study guides. That's where you find them. I encourage you because that's how you can keep up with where, what we're looking at um, and what we're learning in right now in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Okay, the title of today's message, We Will Make Our Abode With Him. This is spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ. The we in view here is him and his father. Please turn to John chapter 14, verse 21. John chapter 14, verse 21. And we'll begin. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Last Sunday, we took a wider view of the passage that I just read to you in light of all of chapters 13 through 17. We looked at seven passages in succession where Jesus spoke about love and obedience. And this was a unique love that he was talking about. It's the love that exists between Jesus and his disciples, as we see this morning, 
Jesus and his father and his disciples. Because now we see one of the big things we're going to see this morning is how Jesus folds now in, if, you could, if I could put it that way, brings into view his father to, to kind of open up the scope of this kind of intimate, ongoing, personal love, a bond between members of the family. Again, this love that he's talking about in chapters 13 through 17 is deep, intimate, and unselfish. And it's a bond among members of the family where the family is the father, the son, and the children, okay, the believers in Jesus Christ. We get to share in that. That's kind of the whole point, ultimately, of what he's saying when he's talking about love in this upper room discourse. Now, Jesus taught his disciples about this love in a very masterful way. And recall, he would make a statement, and then he would make a statement again about this love. And each time he returned to this subject, he would reveal more aspects of it. And that's why we read those seven passages in order, so we could see that last week. But there were two anchors in this teaching, two essential principles that came up over and over again. The first one is that the disciples were to love one another as Jesus had loved them. He called this the new commandment that I give to you. By the way, he's going to mention his commandments. And the thing about it is, is that John, when John reveals a whole body of things that Jesus said. Now, what Jesus said in the Gospel of John can really be boiled down to just a few things. He had a message he was delivering. He, del- he delivered it over and over again in different ways. Remember the, remember, the big question in all the Gospel of John is, who is Jesus? And at the end of the Gospel of John, John writes, these things I have written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. And that's the main message that he gave. And so the major commandments in the whole Gospel of John that are addressed to people are, number one, to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the Christ, the Savior. That's number one. And then number two, to love one another as he has loved us. So it's very important to have that in mind when we read him talking about his commandments Because otherwise, and this is what we tend to do, is we tend to kind of go and generalize and talk about a whole bunch of commandments, and then it seems it seems impossible to keep them. Well, that was remember that's that was the problem in the Old Testament with the law that that really was an impossibility. All of the commandments in Leviticus and Exodus and so on, but what Jesus is focusing here in the Gospel of John on simply two. Believe and love. Believe and love. So again, two major principles when he's teaching about love. The first one has to do with the love that the disciples should have for each other. He said, you are to love one another as I have loved you. And we've seen that that is the most selfless bond. Unselfish, rather. I guess it's the same thing. Because Jesus died for his disciples. And so we, are, we should be willing to die. That's the, that's the ultimate. Okay, that's, what we're, that's what we're striving for. Now, <clears throat> you, have to, you have to have lived a life, to some extent anyway, where you're learning more about Jesus Christ, where you're in community with others, where you're sharing the gospel with others. So you get to the point where you're willing to make that decision to be a sacrifice for others. Okay. Now, we can be a living sacrifice, right? That, that's what Paul talked about. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice. And that simply means that you are giving of yourself on a regular basis for the cause of Christ, whether that's evangelism, whether that's understanding the gift that God has given you to share among the members of the body. We're called to be sacrificial in that way. But again, the ultimate is to give up our lives for somebody that we love. So that was the first major pillar of what Jesus was te- is teaching about in John 13 to 17. That love, that new love that Jesus had for them, he wants them to love one another in that same way. Now the second one was, the, was how do we love Jesus? And he made it very simple. 
He says, you love me by keeping my word. You love me by keeping my word or, or his commandments. So those were the two pillars. Number one, the disciples were to love one another as Jesus had loved them. Number two, the way to love Jesus is to keep his word. So that's the, that's the structure. That's the foundation. And as we continue to go through and see him talk about love, we realize that he's simply building on that foundation with every new thing that he talks about. This morning, the key thing is that he brings his father into view. Okay? So <clears throat> it's important not to, not to forget the, the pillars as we move forward because he builds on that. Okay, so this morning, again, I mentioned this, but we're going to see how he brings his father into this mutual love, his father. In verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And then he says, and he who loves me will be loved by my father. So he's saying, here's this relationship about Jesus and keeping his commandments, being obedient and how that expresses our love for him. And then he says, oh, and by the way, you can't forget my father in heaven because he, he is loved. We are loved by the father when we love the son. And then he comes and says, and I love him too. And I will disclose myself to him. So this morning we're going to see how that all works. Now the first thing in verse 21 that he says is what? He who has my commandments and keeps them. And so the first thing we need to understand is, well, who is that? Who is it that has his commandments? Who is it that keeps them? And again, let's make this very simple. Okay, let's make it very simple and say that the, the new command that he's talking about, and he's talking about it over and over again as he teaches his disciples in that upper room, is to love one another as I have loved you. Well, who did he give that command to? Well, he gave it to his disciples. And by extension, he gives it to us. Okay? So he who keeps my commandments, who has my commandments and keeps them, is the one who loves me. Well, it turns out, by, by comparing other things that Jesus said to this statement, that we can figure out the following, that his disciples both had his commandments and they kept them. Now, not perfectly. In fact, in fact to, to, to say that you're always going to love one another as Christ has loved you is to be pretty arrogant when you think about it. We're going to have our good days and our bad days. We're going to totally miss the boat on somebody's need, either because we weren't paying attention or we were too occupied with something else. So we're not going to do it perfectly. But we do have his command. And by the way, the disciples had them and kept them. How do we know that they kept them? Well, again, comparing Scripture with Scripture. Please go forward to John chapter 17. And as you turn there, I want to remind you of the fact that John 17 is the completion of the things that Jesus has been saying. So when we go to John 17, this kind of of gives us the the, the, the summary, the conclusion Right? And so we can, we can, in fact, should take that and then go back to the things he was saying along the way. Because this is the perspective now that we would have after reading John 17 to go back and, and say, oh, now that I see he said this, now I, this is more meaningful over here. Well, what did he say about this subject in John 17? Notice, I'll read it to you now, starting in verse 6. Now, this is Jesus praying to his father, remember. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. Now, that's very significant in a couple of respects. First of all, he's saying, I have manifested my name to them. In other words, I have disclosed myself to them. And who's them here? The disciples. And as we're going to see in a minute, not only the disciples, but all who believe in Christ on account of their testimony, on account of their word, Again, I have manifested, talking to the Father now. Now, this doesn't get any more real and truthful than Jesus talking to his Father, right? I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. That's another important thing because 
What he's saying is, is that, you know, everybody starts off in the world and of the world. Everybody does. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all, we're, we're all, before we believe in Jesus Christ, we're all operating in the world. And by the way, loving it. That's what, that's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Okay. And that, and that by the way, remains the case for anybody who's not a believer. And so what's, what Jesus once again is doing here at the very end, before he's going to, going to go out to, to, to die for the sins of the world, is he's again making that basic distinction between those he manifests, his, manifests the Father's name to, the people that the Father gave him, gave Jesus, and that was that were that those people who were taken out of the world. They were other. They became other than the world. So you got two groups here. And by the way, you're either in one or the other. You're either in one. There's no middle ground. Okay. There's no people who are like kind of believers, but not fully. There's no people that well, you know, they're good people. It's just that they haven't believed in Christ. So we'll kind of put them in the messy, in the, in the foggy middle and say, well, you know, we, no. There's just two. Okay, you're, you're either of the world or you're a believer in Christ and one of his disciples. And he manifests the Father's name to everybody who the Father gave him. And the Father gives him everybody who believes in Jesus Christ. Then, it, then he continues, they were yours. That's significant. Because what he's saying is, is really before, before the Father gave these people to Jesus... They were already the fathers. Now, what this brings out is the fact that he knew us before we were born. Okay? He, he predestined us. And what that meant was that he knew who we were and he put, planned our lives after we believed in Christ. So it starts with the Father. They were yours and you gave them to me. And notice, and they have kept your word. What does that say? They have kept your word. So he's making a statement here. That, that, the, that the disciples, and as we'll see in a moment, by extension, all believers have received his word and kept it. And that's exactly the people he's talking about in John 14, 21. He's saying, he who has my commandments and keeps them. By my friends, that's believers in Jesus Christ. Regardless of perhaps what you would have thought reading it, or maybe what you've been taught, he's making a very simple distinction between you're either of the world or you're in this group that have Jesus' commandments, his word, and keeps them. Now, again, not perfectly, but to a certain extent. As a matter of fact, you know, the, the first word, the first command, okay, and an important one, is to simply believe in him. He, would, he said earlier on, this is the work that my father asks for you to do, to believe in him whom the father sent. So that, so that right there alone, that a believer by definition has heard that command and kept it. And not only that, okay? You know, a lot of times people get kind of confused because they say, well, you know, I don't understand because how can you say that every believer keeps Jesus' word to some extent? Are you saying that somebody has to have works in order to be saved? See, people go about this the wrong way. Okay, absolutely not. Okay, you are born again. You receive eternal life. You have been declared righteous by God the Father for one simple reason. Okay, that you believe in Jesus Christ. And actually, that's not even a reason. That's an indication by itself, by the way. Because that is simply the means by which the Father has established how somebody would come under his, his, come into his family, and then be declared righteous and have eternal life. That's never going to be taken away. Okay? And that's what it means to be saved. However, I want you to think about this for a moment this morning. Think about a person who was in the world, dead in his trespasses and sins, and then became a believer in Christ and was made alive. Now, was he made alive to no purpose except to go back to the same life that he was living before he became a believer in Christ? No. And don't you think that, that it means something at least? That now that person has the spirit inside? And the person has access to the word of God? And that they're a new creation? So now, 
what would you expect if somebody used to be of the world, was dead, and was made alive, and was made a new creation, and has the spirit in their hearts? Well, it, it follows that that person is, to at least some extent, going to keep the word of God, going to have some indication, some, his manner of living, okay, will, will in some way or other be according to the thinking of Jesus Christ. Has to be. Now, again, please don't slip into the error of saying, oh, so if I haven't seen um, evidence A, B, and C, then I can go back and say he's not a believer. No, that's not how it works. For one thing, we don't know what A, B, and C is. That's the mistake that a lot of legalistic people make. They think they can define the kind of works that somebody has to have to be a genuine believer. But that is among the most arrogant, foolish things I've ever heard in my life. Because that's really only known to God. But again, you know, we've been, as believers in Christ, we have been made new creatures. And how do you think a new creature acts? Again, new creature acts by, by what he is, who he is, which is of the truth. And, and, and therefore craves the truth, and therefore is, is going to have a life that's totally different from the unbeliever. Not that we can tell all the time, but that's just a fact. So again, I manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world, believers, they were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Verse 7. Oh, by the way, he's talking to people, that are, talking about people that include Peter, Right? who totally missed the boat often about what Jesus was saying, who wanted to, who wanted to deny Jesus the, the calling of his to go to the cross, who actually denied Jesus literally in front of people the night before he went to the cross, who continued after the fact, after Jesus was risen from the dead and appeared to him, and, and, and Jesus was talking to Peter and saying, listen, okay, you say you love me, but remember, keep my word. And what was the word to Peter? Feed my sheep. Well, no longer has he, no sooner has he said that, than he turns around and says, yeah, but what about this guy? What about John? Right? In other words, am I, are you being unfair to me, Lord? Yeah, isn't, what about John? You know, because Jesus also said, here's the kind of death you're going to die. And he says, well, what about that guy? He doesn't want to focus on what Jesus is saying. So he's not perfect after he's born again. And that's not what this means. Okay. It simply means that, that believers have been made into people in their new creation who keep the word of God to some extent, in some manners, in some fashions. Okay. Now he goes to verse 7. Now, they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. They know that now. See, we know that everything that Jesus has given what has he given? My gosh, we could, have, we could be here all day listing those things, right? Right? The word of God that he spoke, the salvation that he gave, the spirit that he gave. So there's a lot in that package. But Jesus, once again, understanding the order, right? He says, everything you've given me is, is from you, Father. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them. And they truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believe that you sent me. I'll ask you something. If you're a believer this morning, do you truly understand that Jesus came forth from the Father? Yeah. Did you believe that the Father sent Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Yes. So I hope you can see that this doesn't just apply to the disciples, but it applies to every believer in Christ. And that's the key, one of the key messages I want you to take away from this morning. So in John 17, by the way, now, Jesus is going to now include all of those who are going to believe based on the word of his disciples. So in a, in a sense, you could say that well, what Jesus was saying to his disciples and about his disciples that night is extended into all who would hear the word that the disciples taught and believe Jesus on the basis of that word. And again, I'll submit to you, I've said this many times, but it bears repeating that's everybody now. Because no Christian now, right, has walked with Jesus in the flesh. But, so how did we come to know who Jesus is? One way, by reading 
about what the apostles and others had to say about him, the ones who did walk with him, the ones who did see him resurrected in his resurrection body, which we haven't. You see, so everything that we know about Jesus Christ, okay, the resurrected Christ in particular, comes from the writings of the New Testament authors, in particular the writings of the epistles. So that's us. Right? The gospel was, was, was written down and taught to the next generation, who in turn preached the gospel and taught, and so on and so on. That's us, in other words. So he's going to expand this circle into all who believe based on the word of his disciples. Well, I want you to see that. Just go forward a few verses to verse 20 of John 17. Look at John 17, verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. Who's these alone? The disciples that, are, that were with him. But then he goes, but for those also who believe in me through their word. There it is. We get brought into this by that one statement that Jesus makes in verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, the 11, but also for, for those who believe in me through their word. And notice verse 21. Here's his prayer. And now I ask again, do you think there are any prayers that Jesus prayed okay, that the Father ignored? Of course not. Of course not. What did he ask? That they all may be one. Unity. By the way, a, a huge theme in the epistles. You know, to give you one example, in Ephesians chapter 4, he basically, the writer Paul basically says that you've been given the unity of the Holy Spirit and, and, and now keep it, right? Keep it. And how by all of the, all of the gifts and, and, and empowerment that he's given us to do that. So, so Jesus' prayer, his request, which will be granted, is that all believers may be one. And by the way, that's already happened because we've all been baptized into one body, right? We, 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 are, we have one word, we have one faith, one Lord, and one baptism. We've been baptized into the body of Christ. Now, of course, there's another element to that unity, okay, which is a lived unity. It's where love comes in as well. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, the same kind of unity, and I in you, that they also may be in us. There's the Father and the Son. So that the world may believe that you sent me. So Jesus, by the way, is not going to appear to unbelievers after he's risen from the dead. Right? But he did appear to believers, and they wrote the things that the Spirit inspired them to write. And then, then we and every generation of Christians have come along and, and heard that and believed it. And so therefore, the world, by hearing the preaching of the Word of God, will then also understand who Jesus is to some extent. That, by the way, is the, is the, is the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see what that's all about very soon when we get to chapter 16 of the Gospel of John. But very simply now, I'm going to make another simple statement. It's very simple. Here it is. The one who loves Jesus is the believer. Equal. The believers love Jesus. And those who love Jesus are believers. Okay, this is very simple. This is not a special category of super believers. It's all believers, not because of anything good about us, but because what God has done for us. He's made us new creation. He's adopted, the Father has adopted us into the family. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit, according to Romans 5, keeps pouring the love of God into our hearts. We can't help it. We are made to be people who love Jesus. Okay, please understand that. A lot of people get tripped up by that. I want to show that to you. Look at John 16. Just go back a little bit to John 16, 27. And again, I want to point out that he is talking to the disciples. And by extension, 
He is talking to all believers in every generation. Look at John 16, 27. For the Father himself loves you. Is there any qualifier to that? Is there any if? The Father loves you if? The Father may love you or may not? No, it's a simple statement. The Father loves you. The Father loved Peter and John and James. And the Father loves you and me and every believer in Jesus Christ. It is a simple statement. The Father loves you. Because, notice, you have loved me. Okay, so what is he saying? He's saying, well, there's, there's something about loving me that ap- there's absolute evidence that the Father loves you. And what is that? You have believed that I came forth from the Father. Can you see how this all boils down to believing? Right? He loves you. You've loved me. You're those who have believed that I came forth from the Father. So if you work backwards, okay, you're a believer. That means you love me. And that means the Father loves you. This is all really simple. Because, listen, the love that the Father has for the Son knows no bounds whatsoever. You do understand that, right? The love, I mean, this is God. The love that, that God the Father has for the Son is boundless. So then we come into the picture and we now love His Son. What do you think? Where's that love of the Father then going to pour into? Us. Anybody who loves the Son, I've just established that all believers in Christ love Jesus. He automatically, the Father would love anybody who loves his son. So really, this continues to be really simple. You know, we make it so complicated. Theologians make it so complicated. Wordsmiths and and splitters of verses and so forth. They make it really complicated. But never forget that you are loved by your father, that Jesus loves you, that you love Jesus. You're a member of the family, after all. And this is a spiritual family. And if you keep that in mind, You won't fall into the traps and the guilt and the fear and the uncertainty that you could otherwise fall into. So therefore, Jesus will disclose himself to everyone who believes in him. And isn't that true? I mean, isn't it true that the reason why we have the New Testament epistles is so that Jesus will disclose himself to all believers? Yeah, yeah. Now, does that mean that all believers latch on to and understand and know everything that Jesus has available to disclose himself to us? No. You see, see, there's always a difference between what God does and what we do. Okay? And we can't forget about that part. But it doesn't change any of the facts that, that, that are said here about us and about the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ. So he does disclose himself to everyone who believes in him. In some manner or fashion. Well, you have to say to yourself, well, what kind of manner or fashion is that? After all, right now he's talking to the disciples. And as we saw earlier in chapter 14, he says, I will come to you. And we saw that that did mean that after he was raised from the dead, he would appear to the disciples of that generation. But not us, not in that way. We don't, he doesn't appear to us in bodily form now. So how does he disclose himself to us? Very simply, through his word. Through his word. And everyone who believes in him has the capacity to hear, understand, and keep his word. So he's already disclosed himself to us in that way. But of course, there's also a living aspect to that. That as we understand who we are in Christ, as we understand some of that love with which the Father has loved us, as we understand that, that we will come to learn and to know Jesus more and more and our love for him will increase, we understand that, that it's all built for us to continue to tap into that love, continue to be yearning for the, for the disclosure that Jesus has already given us. Now, what does that word, though, mean, disclose? He will disclose himself. I want you to give, I'm going to give you the Greek for this one word this morning for disclose. As is true of a lot of words in, in the Greek, and we've seen this, they mean more than one thing. 
you know, one basic distinction in terms of the Greek words is between a sort of a concrete meaning, right? Everyday, obvious meaning, and then how that then becomes, as it were, spiritualized, right? Baptism was a great case in point where it originally meant to literally dip something into something else, like a ship into water, okay? But that's not the way in which that word is used, right, in the New Testament. It means to be entered into and permanently identified. Enter into and permanently identify. And that's on a spiritual basis. So it goes from a concrete to a spiritual, to an everyday, to an amazing truth. All right. So the Greek word means what? To show, to make manifest, or to appear before. To show, to reveal something, to make manifest, to to come before somebody and appear before somebody. That's what the Greek word means. Now, this could, of course, if we step back and say, so Jesus said he's going to disclose himself first and foremost to the apostles. Okay. So what, what is he talking about? Well, it could mean he'd be referring to his post-resurrection appearances. His post-resurrection appearances. That's certainly true, right? Didn't Jesus show himself? He showed, remember, he showed himself to Thomas, literally showed himself in the flesh. So, it, so that's one way this word can be used. It could also, by the way, be used to, to refer to his second coming which is still future, once again, he is going to appear, the Son of Man. He's going to manifest himself, this time to the whole world. But that's not until the future. And by the way, we'll be, we won't be on earth when that happens. We'll have already been raptured with Christ and in heaven. Okay, so it's not that either. So how do we know what, this, what Jesus is talking about now when he says, I will manifest myself? Well, you're going to have to be a little patient. Today, not too patient, because he's going to reveal this in verse 23. What is what he means by that? So stay tuned. Okay, let's go back now to John chapter 14, verse 22. John chapter 14, verse 22. Because after Jesus said all of that about love, about the love of the Father, about disclosing himself to them. Here comes a disciple, and here comes a disciple that's confused. That kind of doesn't really understand at all what Jesus is talking about. We've seen a lot of that, have we not? We sure have. Okay, we saw it with Peter. We saw it with Philip. We saw it with the leaven as a whole. And we see it again. John 14, 22. Judas, not Iscariot. It's funny. John wants to make absolutely sure that nobody thinks that Judas has come back into the upper room. The Judas. The Iscariot. That's not who this is. There's another Judas who's also an apostle. Jesus says, I mean, Judas asks a question of Jesus. Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Now, by saying that, of course, he's already defined in his own mind, what Jesus means by disclosing himself. Okay, but that's not what Jesus means. I'll show you that in a second. By the way, if you want to see more about this Judas who's not Iscariot, he also appears in both Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And it's significant, though, here, that Judas would conclude that Jesus was not going to disclose himself to the world. So he understood a little. He understood this much. He did understand that when Jesus said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, that that was a synonym for a believer. Why? Because he makes the distinction between these people and the world, does he not? He says, what's happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Well, by saying that, he's saying us and the world are opposites. There's us and there's the world. So very simply, there's believers and unbelievers. And he's saying, why are you just going to disclose yourself now to believers and not to unbelievers? He was confused. All right, go to John chapter 5 now, verse 38. John 5, 38. 
He who has my commandments, my word, and keeps them is a believer and only a believer. John 5, 38. Now, if you remember, in John chapter 5, Jesus has healed the man that was lame, and then he's attacked verbally by the, by the group of which we've seen is called the Jews, which is not every Jewish person, but rather the leadership who rejected Jesus. Okay, You do not have his word abiding in you. Notice that. You, okay, the Jewish leadership who denied that Jesus has come from his father, who, re- who rejected that the, that the indication of his miracle was that he is who he says he is. They rejected all of that. What does he say here in John 5, 38 about those people? He says, you do not have his word abiding in you. Why? For you do not believe him who he has sent. What is he saying? He's saying, if you don't have his word abiding in you, unbeliever, that, that why? Because you don't believe him whom he sent. But you could just as easily turn this right around and say, if you do believe that Jesus has been sent by the Father, and you believe in Jesus, well, guess what? You do have his word abiding in you. Can you see how that works both ways? That's a logic thing, by the way. I won't get into logic this morning, but that's an ironclad argument. I'll just put it that way. Okay? For those of you who are fancy and advanced, it's the contrapositive. See? So smart. Which doesn't matter a darn. No, it's saying that if you, if you do believe in him who he set, you do have his word abiding in you. So step back for a minute. So what is this saying about believers? That we have his word abiding in us. Again, to some extent, not zero, not perfect, but somewhere we do have his word to some extent abiding in us. Does a believer have his word abiding in, I mean, unbeliever have his word abiding in them? Well, no, we just read that. You do not have his word abiding in you and his being the father here. So getting back to this idea of keeping Jesus' commandments, the fact is, And no one believer can do that. Why? Because they don't even have the word of God in them. So they're incapable. They don't have Jesus' commandments. So they can't keep them. So that's an unbeliever. So let me ask you something. Jesus is coming here and he says, I will disclose myself. Do you think he can disclose himself to the unbeliever? No, he can't. Because the unbeliever doesn't have the word of God. Okay? I know that may disturb you, but we're talking about Jesus disclosing himself in the sense of telling telling more and more about who he is, sharing a life with these people. And we already know that the ones who don't believe in him don't have his word at all. And that's how he discloses himself. Okay, so Jesus is not going to disclose himself to unbelievers. He says, "I I will disclose myself to you, but he won't disclose himself unbelievers. And of course, the world is made up of unbelievers and nothing but unbelievers. Therefore, Jesus is not going to disclose himself to the world. That's where, that's kind of the logic of this whole thing. Okay, so in some manner of fashion, you know, Judas, not Iscariot, said, so what you're saying here is that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world. Yes, that's what I'm saying. The trouble here is that Judas was surprised by that. Saying, how can this be that you're going to disclose yourself to us and you're not going to disclose yourself to the world? Not to us, it's obvious, hopefully by now, what he's talking about certainly wasn't obvious to Judas. Why not? Well, very simple. You see, Judas, not Iscariot, was looking at Jesus and seeing this. He's seeing the Messianic king. And what's going to happen with the Messianic king? And by the way, this is in the Old Testament as well as the New. That the day will come when the Messianic king will present himself and appear in glory to the entire world. So if this is your understanding and only this about who Jesus is. And he comes along and says, I'm not going to disclose myself or appear to the entire world. 
can you see how there's, a, there's like a disconnect there? Jesus is saying, well, wait a minute. That, the very idea of you being the Messiah is that you're going to appear in glory in front of the whole world. Every eye will see you. How can you say that you're not going to disclose yourself to the whole world? By the way, Jesus had talked about, I talked about this role of, the, of this happening, what's going to happen when the, about the Messianic king. I want you to see it in Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. Matthew 24, 30. Jesus is going to say the Messianic king will come one day, the Son of Man, and he will appear in glory, and he will appear, appear to the entire world. So Jesus had spoken of this same thing that, that Judas assumed was true when he was looking at Jesus. Look at Matthew 24, 30. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then what? All the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. So Jesus himself said, you know, yes, the Son of Man, the Messiah, okay, is going to come on the clouds of the sky. And then when that happens, all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Why? Because they'll all see him. He's going to come with power and great glory. He's going to disclose himself to the world. But of course, we know that that's not going to happen right away. So that's what Judas was, that's why he was so confused, though. Okay, let's go back now to John chapter 20. Oops. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. You're still in Matthew 24 30. Okay, clearly. That thing, it's going to happen at his second coming that Jesus describes in Matthew 24, 30. And by the way, he quotes the Old Testament when he does so. So this would have been something that, that someone who studied the Old Testament would have known. He's actually quoting Daniel chapter 7, when the Son of Man will come in the clouds of the sky. But as we've seen, that's not the disclosure Jesus is talking about. That's why we're going to go now to John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said to Judas, not Iscariot, he said this, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and will come to him. We will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Now, what was the question that Judas, not Iscariot, asked? How is it that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? And how does Jesus begin to answer it? He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. You see, he's stuck. He's describing what he meant by disclosing himself back in, in, chapter, in verse 21 of chapter 14. And we'll see in a minute that that can't possibly refer to his second coming. That, that the father will, will, will come with the son to the one who, who loves Jesus and keeps his word. And then in verse 24, he talks about the, the rest of the people and actually to the world. He says, he doesn't love me. The world doesn't keep my words. Ah, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now, now, now Judas was, was listening, I suppose, and he's going to say, well, well, Jesus, I don't really think you answered my question. Right? And it's true. Jesus doesn't give a straightforward answer to the question that Judas asked. Well, in other words... What Judas might have been able to relate to is if Jesus answered like this. Well, it's because I've been rejected as the Messiah by the Jewish nation. Right? That's why I'm going to disclose myself to you and not to the world. That would have made sense to Philip. I mean, to to Judas, not Iscariot. Or he could have said, you know, when I said I would come to take you with me to heaven, I don't think that that's going to happen before some other things happen first. He could have said that. So in other words, he could have addressed his second coming, right? When the Messiah would be presented, 
Of course, at this time, Judas, not Iscariot, and the rest of the disciples didn't think about a second coming. They thought it was all going to happen here as part of the first coming. Okay, but he didn't give that kind of an answer. In fact, he begins in, in verse 23 by essentially just restating what he's just said in verse 21. He said, if anyone now loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. Hey, that's exactly what he just said. He just repeats himself. That'd be a little frustrating, right, to Judas who expects some new heavy revy. And all Jesus said is, let me repeat myself. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And these are the people to whom Jesus will disclose himself. Again, believers. Now he adds something new here in verse 23, though, doesn't he? And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. That's the disclosure that Jesus is talking about in verse 21. He's not talking about post-resurrection appearances. He's not talking about when the Messiah is going to appear in great glory and every eye will see him. He's talking about something else. He says, my father and I will come to him, that's the disclosure, and we'll make our abode with him. So again, basically he is saying, we will come to the one, this one, who loves me and keeps my word, the one that the Father loves. We will both come, my Father and myself, and we will make our abode with that person. Hmm. What is he saying? Again, just to make it crystal clear. Okay, he is saying that the way he will disclose himself to them, along with his Father, is to come and make his, their abode, both of them, with him. Well, of course, the, them coming together sort of makes sense because after all, he and the Father are one. So, so it, okay, that kind of makes sense. Not only that, but he's in his Father. His Father is in him after all. But this raises another question and that is this. What does he mean by make our abode with them? What does he mean by that? Right? Well, let me ask you, do you want the short answer this morning or the long answer? Short answer, right? Ah, good, because that's what I'm prepared to give you this morning, is the short answer. All right, so quite simply, he, he is saying that he and his father are going to come down and make their home with them. Make their home. So there's a home that's coming into the picture. The father and their son are coming and they're establishing this home. And they're going to live with the believers in this home. Now, he's talking about, not talking about in heaven, by the way, because he said, we'll come down to you. So what's, so in other words, it's not the same home or house or mansion, depending on how you want to translate it, that he talked about in John 14, chapter, verse 2, when he's saying, in my house there are many rooms, actually, and, and I will come to you and bring you back up there. Well, this is the opposite direction, isn't it? It's coming down here. So there's another home he's talking about. It's down here on earth with himself and his son and the believers. That's what he's saying. And so right away, we know that this coming is unique. It's different. It's not when he came as a baby. It's not even when he's going to come and appear after his resurrection. And it's definitely not the coming when Messiah is going to reveal himself to the world. And in particular, it is different from his appearance at the end of the age. Why? Well, he's going to, we've already seen this, but he's going to come as the glorified son of man. Man. In other words, he will be God in resurrected flesh, right? In the flesh. And every eye will see him. Okay, that's Jesus. He's coming. Every eye will see him. But, but here in verse 23 of chapter 14, he says, me and my father are going to come. My father and I are coming. Well, can the father come in the flesh? No. Why? Well, because no one has ever seen the father. That's why Jesus had to come. Every, uh, every eye will see Jesus at the second coming, but no one has ever seen the father. Look at John 4, 24. Hmm. And now we're getting somewhere. Look at John 4, 24. 
You see, Jesus is flesh and spirit. God the Father is what? Spirit. Spirit. So he's not going to show himself in the flesh. Okay. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship how? In spirit and in truth. You see, the disclosure that he's talking about is not in the flesh. It's in spirit and it's in truth. The Father won't be coming with the Son at the second coming. But there's a, but there's a house of spirit and truth that he's going to come to before that. Whoa. Well, that's interesting. So um, I'm going to skip in the interest of time a couple of points. I'm just going to briefly tell you that. What was it that, that Judas might have been thinking? Well, he, be, he might be thinking that, well, you know, the Lord dwelt with men before. Where? In his sanctuary, right? In the tabernacle, in the temple. I wonder if that's what he means. Are we going to build another tabernacle? And is that how it's going to happen? No. You see, the house he's talking about is not the temple in Jerusalem. He already made that crystal clear. As a matter of fact, right in this passage, John 4, he would have said exactly the same thing. You think that you should worship as the Jews do in the temple. He's saying, but no, that's not it, right? So what's the home? It's not the temple. Quite simply, it's a spiritual home for the Father, the Son, and the children. A spiritual home for the Father, the Son, and the children of the Father. All right. That's what we're talking about. I will make my, we will make our spiritual home with you on earth because we're members of this family. We're in that circle of love. Okay. Now back to the question. What, did, what after all, did Judas ask? Well, well, there's two things he asked. The first one is, how is it that you are going to disclose yourself to us? And he answers that by talking the fact that we're in his love and we're going to come. The father and the son are going to come and we're going to make our home with you. And then now it's going to be a spiritual home. Okay, what's the second question? Well, how is it that you are not coming to disclose yourself to the world? Well, he answers, that's, a, that's part of what he said. He asked, well, he answers that question in verse 24, the second one. Why? How does he start verse 24? He who does not love me. He, now, who doesn't love Jesus? The unbeliever. The unbeliever, the heathen. The people of the world. He who does not love me does not keep my words. Okay, what does that mean? Well, he who does not love me does not keep my words. That's a synonym for the unbeliever. So now we're getting somewhere. Now, finally, he's going to talk about the world. He's going to say... The, everybody else who's not among us, this, this family circle, doesn't love me, doesn't keep my word. Look at John eight thirty seven. John eight thirty seven. Once again, talking to the representatives of the world. Who are they? the Jewish leadership at that time. If you want to understand the world, that's who you look to in the Gospel of John. Okay, What does he say to those people? John 8, 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to love me. Is that what he says? What does he say? You kill me. That's kind of the opposite of loving somebody, don't you think? Yeah, Yeah, it's hating somebody. Okay. You seek to kill me. Why? Because my word has a no place in you. They don't keep his word. Because they don't love him. They're not believers. And quite simply, okay, they are not loving either the Father or the Son. And they're not keeping the Father's words either. In other words, that kind of disclosure is not possible. Look at John eight forty seven. Just go forward. It's 10 verses to John 8, 47. Really simple statement. He who is of God, who's that? Believers. 
What do, what do the believers do? They hear the words of God. See, they have the word dwelling in their heart. They hear the word of God. And then he turns to the unbeliever, to the world, and he says, for this reason you do not hear the words of God. Why? Because you are not of God. You are not at all. There's nothing in common between you and God. So if there's nothing in common between these unbelievers and God and his son, that father will never open his spiritual home to those people. Does that make sense? Okay. He's never going to open his home to people who, doesn't, who aren't of him. They're not in the family circle. They can't hear the word of God. They don't have the word of God dwelling. As a matter of fact, they hate the Lord Jesus. That's why, I mean, look, if you look at our world today, the world of unbelievers that's kind of all around us, okay? You know, there's one, one word, just one word that will set them off like no other word. You know what that word is? Jesus. That's right. You can say God. You can say the Creator, the Almighty One. But if you say Jesus, the world will... Why? Because the world hates Him. Okay. They hate the Son. They hate the Father. They won't keep His Word. They reject every word that Jesus spoke about, about who He is. And they reject His first instruction to believe in Him. So what about those people? Let me tell you something. There is just one hope. They're not hopeless, but there's just one hope. You know what it is? Well, yeah, but how, how, the only thing that's going to that's gonna allow them to ever have an opportunity to believe in Christ is that. The convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's the provision that God has now made for the world. Okay? The convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's to unbelievers. And that's the only thing that the Lord is doing today to reach the unbeliever. Keep that in mind, by the way. That's who you have really at work in the souls of the people that you've been trying to get to listen to the gospel and believe it. Okay? It's, it's him. <laughs> He's at work. Okay? So ultimately, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting that or him the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see what that's all about soon when we get to chapter 16. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just again want to thank you for opening up our eyes to the truth, the magnificent truth of the gospel, the truth about who your son is, who you are, the truth about the Holy Spirit who now lives in the hearts of believers, instructs us, reveals us who Jesus is, reminds us about what Jesus has said. And so, Father, today we just also want to understand that you haven't totally given up on the world by no means and that your spirit is working on the souls and the hearts of unbelievers. And it doesn't mean they're all going to believe. In fact, you're crystal clear they won't. But we know that you're, you're still taking everything you got and and given it to them in the only form that they could possibly receive it, which again is the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit, that if that works, so to speak, then their hearts are open to the gospel. So we don't know. We really don't know whose hearts are open to the gospel or not at, at this point. And so our job is simply to preach it, just speak it. And right now, Father, I'm just for the benefit of everybody here in this morning. Once again, I'm going to speak the simplicity of the gospel, and whether you're an unbeliever this morning or a believer, and particularly, of course, if you're an unbeliever, please listen to this carefully. You were born dead in your trespasses and sins. You were a sinner. And the Bible says we all were born that way. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And the thing is that something's going to happen in order for you to be in that circle of love we talked about this morning. And God made perfect provision by giving us the most precious person in the universe, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, born of a woman, born perfect. And he went to the cross for you. He was innocent, and yet he bore your sins on the cross. He died for them. And God the Father raised him from the dead, a miracle testifying once and for all that Jesus is everything he said he was. 
God's son and your savior. And now he just has one, one thing that he's looking for from you. It's not works. It's not keeping the commandments. It's not feeling sorry for your sins. It's one thing to hear the truth as I've just spoken to it and to believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that God the Father raised him from the dead. Simply believe that. Believe that and you will, mark it down, be saved. And you will receive eternal life. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Well, Father, thank you once again for, for establishing the simplicity of how you work in the lives of everybody. And we ask this morning once again, Father, that you would Um, have the Holy Spirit guide and direct us as to how we can further your plan in the coming week. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, you are dismissed to enjoy this day.